Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. So, in the movie Encanto, any of the kids seen it? Encanto. Yes, anyone else? Okay, good. Um, there's this guy called Bruno. What's the song? We don't talk about Bruno. Um, that in the magical world of the film, this man can tell the future and he tells a couple on their wedding day it's going to rain and the song goes they're married in a hurricane and so uh, he tells someone their fish would die and the next day it did. Uh, he told a guy he'd grow a gut and his hair would, fall, would, would disappear and guess what? It happened. Uh, in the movie, Bruno gets shunned by his family because they don't like what they hear from Bruno. They don't like what they hear about the future. We don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. Anyway, um, what do you think it would mean if you knew the future? Uh, if you knew that you're, on your wedding day it would be a hurricane, would you get married outside? Probably not. Would you change the date? What would you do if you knew that what was going to happen next week or next year or in five years' time? Would that change anything for you? Maybe you'd like to know how you're going to go at school this year. Uh, maybe you'd like to know whether you're going to make new friends. Maybe you'd like to know whether you'd get a, you're going to get that contract at work or what your work will look like next year. Maybe you want to know whether you have enough to pay the power bill. Uh, there are many things that are unknown about the future that can cause us worry. And, you know, things like climate change, war, homelessness. It can be easy for us as human beings to feel scared when we think about the future. And so as we come to chapter 13 in Mark, this passage, I think that this feeling of uncertainty about the future is what we're going to see here with the disciples, at least in the first bit. Uh, Uncertainty about the future must have gripped the disciples here because Jesus drops a bombshell. First one, it says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples Um, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Now, there's this song from the movie Frozen 2. I'm into Disney films this week. Uh, This this great song called Some Things Never Change. And when Anna sings about how she relies on certain certainties, like an old stone wall that will never fall, it will be always true. That's what she sings. But even as she sings the line about certain certainties like an old stone wall that will never fall, the wall falls down behind her. Uh, In that song, the certain certainties that aren't as certain as she'd like the certain certainties to be. There's something of this feeling here in this passage. As Jesus' disciples look at the temple, they're thinking, what massive stones, what a great building this is, how magnificent. Some things will never change, and one of those things is this temple. It's a magnificent building. And even today, you can see um, in Jerusalem the stones of the building. There's a stone that they call the Western Stone, which is there, and it's 13.55 metres long, 3.3 metres high, and it weighs about 300 tonnes. That's a big stone. The temple is rock solid, you might say, almost a certain certainty. Uh, 
surely the temple will stand. But Jesus says, verse 2, Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, not one stone will be left on another. Now, that's kind of big news, isn't it? This, the temple's been, for the Jewish people, the symbol of God's presence. God met with the people at the temple. That's where they could sacrifice and the priests would sacrifice and their sins would be paid for, atoned for, how they could be right with God. And what does Jesus say? What does he say? The temple's going to be destroyed. Their future is crumbling. So it might have thought, thought so they might think. Uh, And so while their future seems uncertain, they and we need to see that all is not lost. It must have left the the disciples speechless because they only asked him about it when they get to the Mount of Olives in verse 3. That's like a walk away. They must have been speechless. But with Jesus, the future is more secure than ever. That's what they will need to learn through this passage and it's what we need to learn as well. With Jesus, the future is ultimately certain. Um, and today we've got a couple of points and we'll see that in Mark 13 um, there is good news because even though we don't know the future, Jesus does. He knows the future and he holds the future and this is our first point. And our second point is that Jesus is central to the future because in the future he will return. So a couple of points today. But the first point, Jesus knows the future and he holds the future in his hands And because of that, we can trust him with the future. So verse 3, it says, uh, Just as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James and John and Andrew ask him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? So notice the two questions they ask here, verse 3. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that it's going to happen? And... What we have after this, in the rest of chapter 13, is Jesus' answer to those questions. Now, this is important because in these verses, it unlocks the meaning of the passage. I don't know if you read it before and are like, what is going on here? But these, are the, these questions unlock the meaning of the passage. So, notice the phrase in verse 4 that the disciples ask about these things. Notice the phrase, these things. What things? the things regarding the destruction of the temple. And Jesus reuses this very phrase, these things, a number of times through the whole passage. And it is a key phrase that unlocks the structure of the chapter and Jesus' answer. So I won't go into too much detail, but you can look into it later or talk to me afterwards. But in verses 5 to 23... Jesus is answering questions about these things, i.e. the destruction of the temple. 5 to 23, things are related to the destruction of the temple. And in verse 23, Jesus then looks beyond these things to other things, to even more significant event to come, his return at the end. So we've got two events in this chapter. That's what he's talking about, two things. So... We have the destruction of the temple and his return at the end. Two events, two horizons. And this second event is in the future. So it's verse 26. 
uh, when people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. But then verses 28 to 30, Jesus then switches back to talking about the temple. He's talking about these things regarding the temple. And verse 30, he's saying that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, meaning the destruction of the temple is going to happen within their lifetime. And then Jesus returns to teach about a far-off future from verse 32. He says, no one knows the day or hour. So he's talking again about the end. So um, he's talking about two things here. But kids, uh, on your handout there, if you have a handout, there's a clock. And so I want you, if you have a handout there, um, you, can, you actually notice there's no hands on the clock. And that's a very good, um, a very uh, deliberate choice by me on your handout there. Because we don't know the time when Jesus is going to return, do we? No one knows the day or hour. Maybe you can draw some hands on the clock, but then, oh yes, but then put a question mark here or something like that to symbolise you don't know when Jesus will return. There you go. But So in chapter 13, we've got these two horizons, two future events. But what we really need to understand, even if you don't get the structure of the passage, is that Jesus knows the future. And not only that, he is central to the future. He holds the future and the future is all about him. And this is really good for us, good news for us. So what does Jesus say about the future of the temple, verses 5 to 23? What does he say? He knows the future, but it's not going to be an easy future. There's going to be verses 5 and 6, look down, 5 and 6, people who try to deceive you, disciples. Watch out for those people. And verses 7 and 8, there's going to be wars and rumours of wars. Uh, The talk of war will be about. And verses 10 and 11, there'll be persecution. Or even 9, you'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. You'll stand trial uh, before kings simply because you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is saying to them. And verse uh, 14, uh, it says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What's the abomination that causes desolation? Well, it's a bit of a strange phrase, but, but it's a quote from uh, Daniel again. It's a quote from Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. And in that chapter, Daniel 9, he prophesies about the destruction of the temple. Uh, Daniel spoke about this event 600 years previously and Jesus says it's going to happen in your lifetime. Uh, There's desolation that's going to happen. And verse 30 says, truly I tell you this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. It's going to happen really soon in your generation. Our future is going to be full of distress, verse 18. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. It's unprecedented. And the thing is, this disaster happened just as Jesus said it would. You see, 70 AD, four decades after Jesus spoke these words. Uh, The Jews revolted against Rome. Uh, They wanted freedom from Rome. But Rome responded 
in a very Rome-like way. They came with their armies. They laid siege to Jerusalem for three months. Tens upon tens of thousands of Jews were killed. Uh, It's estimated then that nearly 100,000 then were enslaved and taken away to Rome. This abomination that causes desolation burned the temple and the city. They took the temple down, those massive stones, that magnificent building was destroyed. Just as Jesus said it would. Not one stone was left on another. And you can see the rubble in Jerusalem today. There's literally no stone left on another. It's a hard passage, this one. It's graphic and it would have been devastating for the disciples. But the thing is, it's good news that Jesus knows the future. So even while these horrendous things will happen, he's saying to the disciples, there is hope. Jesus knows the future, but he tells them, and he actually tells them how to live in this future. He makes promises to them. So you look at the promises he's making through here. So even, uh, even while in verse 10 and 11, they stand trial before kings and governors uh, for, the, for the gospel, for being Christians, what does Jesus promise here? That the Holy Spirit will be speaking. He'll give you words. God will be with you in this hard thing. Stand firm. Verse 13. Everyone who will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus tells them how to live when Jerusalem falls. Verse 14 to 19. What does he say? He tells them to flee. He says, run. Uh, I know we can be indecisive in crisis moments, but what does Jesus say to the Christians here when Jerusalem falls? Run. Get out. Run for the hills. And that's exactly what the church did in 70 AD. They ran. They fled for the hills. And as they ran, they took the gospel with them. And through this, the gospel went across the world. From that event. It went across, the name of Christ went out across the world. Jesus says, I know the future and this is how you're going to act in the future. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows your future. He knows your future. He doesn't tell us all the details. We don't get the same insight as the disciples did here in regards to this great event that would happen. We just don't know what will happen, you know, whether on the drive home or this week at work or anything really, do we? Let alone next year. God doesn't speak to us about the details and we don't know them and that can cause us worry, can't it? But while we don't know, Jesus knows. He knows it. He knows what is going to happen. And this is very good. This is good news. Because if we learn one thing from these verses, it's that our future will likely involve a fair bit of hardship. A life of ease, Jesus does not promise. 
And this is a good word for us. As I talk with you guys about the things going on in your life, I talk to a lot of people as we pray for one another about these things. As I look at my own life, the thing is that we can kind of get surprised when hard things happen, can't we? It can come as shock, as a shock when a sickness comes upon us, or when our friendships falter, or when your faith puts you at odds with a family member. These things can come upon us like a shock. But Jesus doesn't sugarcoat what the future will look like for the disciples, and he doesn't sugarcoat what it looks like for you as a disciple of Jesus either. He says, you guys are going to experience war, you're going to experience famine, and there's going to be a lot of persecution for, because, just because you're naming the name of Jesus. Now, that's not what many people might call living your best life. Um, but that's the way of the cross. That's the way of discipleship. It's the way of Jesus, the way of a suffering servant, a Messiah who dies, the Messiah who goes through death to save us. And this is where Jesus is headed in just a couple of chapters' time. He's going to the cross to save his people. And this is the pattern of discipleship for his followers. It is to take up a cross and follow him. But all that in the promise of glory to come. It's the cross, then glory. As Jesus says, John 16, in this world you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He doesn't say to us, in this life you'll have a smooth journey. No major troubles or hiccups. He says to us, there will be trouble. As hard as that is to live in, it is hard to live in trouble, isn't it? But if you're in Christ, you're not without hope because he is the one who overcomes the world. He is with us now. He's with us in the valleys. And to know him is a source of such joy and comfort and, the, and, and hope there is a future with him. So we don't know what will happen tomorrow, but Jesus does. He knows the future. We can trust him with it. And, you know, we might want to go to that place and do that ministry or work in that particular job, but you just don't know if it'll pan out. You just don't know the future, do you? But Jesus does. Jesus knows all about it. And we pray to a God... Uh, we can pray to him that he'll help us trust him in uncertainties. Um, or maybe when you pluck up the courage to make a decision that might cost you for the sake of the kingdom of God, as um, it did here in this passage. It might cost you financially or relationally, but it's the right thing to do as a Christian. We don't know what the response will be, but Jesus knows what will happen. He knows what will happen to you, what will cost you, even if you don't know. When you stand before the equivalent of kings and governors and speak about Jesus, perhaps it's when you have the courage to bring up the name of Jesus at work and you say, I go to church, I'm a Christian. As we speak about Jesus, Jesus knows what will happen next. He knows how that conversation will go, how people will respond, maybe positively, maybe not so positively. But the promise is that God is with, your, with us in those moments. He speaks through us. Jesus knows the future and he also rules over the future. He's God over the future and that means in life there are no accidents. Life is not hopeless. There are no accidents in God's providence. 
And in Jesus, um, Jesus is there over every detail, every situation, every moment of joy, every moment of despair, even down to the moment of our own death. Jesus knows these things and he's with us step by step toward eternity. He knows the future. But you might be thinking, um, yeah, that's well and good for the disciples to know their future. Jesus lays out a whole chapter's worth for them. But what about us? What? Jesus doesn't map out the details for me. He doesn't lay out the details of world history, let alone um, my, the course of my life. I think that's why Jesus goes on. Not only to speak about the destruction of the temple, which happened in their, their lifetime, but he looks even further ahead in this chapter to the future of the future, to the great event to come. After the temple is destroyed, there is one major world event left. There's one thing left to happen in world history. That's what he speaks about in verses 24 to 27. The great future event that we need to know. So at verse 24 it says, In those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heavens. There's one major event to come and in history that is the return of Jesus. This is what we need to know about the future. That Jesus is coming again in glory the Son of Man here is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, which um, Noel read out before from verse 13. This final, this final Adam-like figure, the Son of Man, comes to earth to reign and to rule and to judge the world. Jesus is speaking about his, his return to here, to this world. And he's speaking about when he'll come again on that last day. He'll return in power and glory and he will gather, notice there, he'll gather his elect, his people. He'll bring his people to him. He'll return, but we don't know when that will be, but God does, verse 32. We don't know the details of what will happen between now and then. Jesus doesn't map that out for us, but he knows them. He even mentions some of the details in this passage. Verse 10, for example, the gospel must be preached to all nations. That's one of the things that needs to happen between now and then. The gospel is to be preached to all nations. So between now and the return of the Lord Jesus, there is a missionary task given to God's people. He says, go and preach tell people about me before I return. And he also says, verse 8, that all those earthquakes and famines and rumours of war and hard things will happen, the heartaches in our life, these things are, end of verse 8, the beginnings of birth pains. Now, when our kids were born, uh, it was quite frankly a little scary because 
we did not have in our family what you call smooth births. There was danger involved. Birth pains are real. And Jesus says that this world is in labour. The hard things and the heartaches are birth pains. But there is something wonderful to come. The struggles in this life and in this world are leading towards a reborn world. At the end, when Jesus returns, where no, there is no more pain and suffering or death, Jesus takes us to the end, the end of the end, to when the Son of Man comes on the clouds and He says, I hold the future and in the future I will return and I'll gather you up. You're going to come to me from the four winds, from the corner, every corner of the world, you are gathered to me. Jesus not only knows the future, but He holds the future and the future He will return. And so, just as he's told the disciples to live in the light of the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, he tells us to live in the light of the return of Christ, his return at the end. That's what he says. We are to live in the light of his return. So, that's what he does in verse 33 onwards. It says, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge each with their assigned tasks, and he tells one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. What's he saying to us? watch. In other words, you don't know when Jesus will return. You don't know that. He will come suddenly. So, don't be found asleep. Let the return of Christ shape your life now. Keep watch. Live your life as though Jesus is returning. Have this vision in your eyes, and live for this future. The preacher John Wesley was once asked the question, how would you spend tomorrow if you knew Jesus was going to return in the evening? How would you spend tomorrow if you knew Jesus was going to return in the evening? Wesley then apparently took out his diary, his, um, his diary and read the list of engagements he had written down uh, for the following day, and he said, these things... I would do tomorrow if I knew the Lord was returning then. That's it, isn't it? How do we watch? How do we keep alert? How do we look for the return of Christ? It's certainly to remember that He's coming again, but it's to go about our ordinary life with this big vision before us. Living in the light of the return of Christ gives shape to your everyday. It means getting involved in seeing the gospel go out to the nations, as Jesus said, it must. It means living in daily obedience to his word. It means urging each other on, encouraging each other to keep on, persevering, following Christ, and to be, being there for others when times are inevitably difficult. And not being surprised when hard things come, but in those times, leaning on Him, trusting Him. Let's not be caught napping.
when Jesus returns, let's get on and do the things he's called us to do. Because he will return. The vision is glorious, isn't it? It says he will come in the clouds with great power and glory and he'll send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the uh, the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. He's coming. And we will see him and we will bow before him and those that are his will adore and praise him forever. The third verse of that song we, I mentioned before says, uh, Ancient of Days, I think it sums it up pretty well. It says, Though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Saviour King. Then my joy complete standing face to face in the presence of the Ancient of Days. Our joy will be complete when we see Jesus. He knows the future and in the future he will return. Let's Uh, Pray now.